0: I have a question this morning. All right. What's your favorite Christmas movie? Elf, It's a Wonderful Life, Elf, a wonderful life. Die Hard, okay. <laughs> Just Who said that real quick? I got to put that down. You're going on the naughty list, Ian. Uh, what else we got? Christmas. A Christmas Story, Home Alone, okay. White Christmas, while, while you were sleeping, okay. what'd you say? Muppets. Muppets Christmas Carol, Scrooge. Christmas Vacation, The Grinch. Uh, question Do we have any legit Hallmark Christmas movie fans here? I know we do. Be loud and proud. Go ahead and show us. Okay, everybody, boo the, these people. I was just kidding. Uh, everybody knows the, 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 the joke, right? Um, what has 15 actors, four settings, two writers, and one plot line? <laughs> 632 Hallmark Christmas movies, right? You've all heard that joke a million times by now and seen it memed. Uh, this past week, we had some college girls over to make pizza and hang out, and I asked them the same question, and they came out with Hallmark movies. And I know people like Hallmark movies, I do not like Hallmark movies because that joke is true. They are like thrown into a script generator and they hire people from daytime soaps and it's all the same and it's boringly written and badly acted and it's the same plot after the same plot. It's this high powered, you know, career girl, single mom ends up in her hometown. She meets a man who's a hunk and he's there to teach her the true meaning of Christmas And they fall in love and it snows and they kiss the end a thousand times over and over and over again. And if the writers are feeling especially spicy, what do they do? They throw in a strange family member to make it home at the end and make everything great and just add just a little bit more warmth to the Christmas story. So I decided, okay, fine. This week I'm going to do it. I'm going to watch a Hallmark Christmas movie. Millions of people can't all be wrong, can they? is a stupid thing to say. If millions of people can't be wrong, how do you explain Kentucky fans? That was Otto's joke. Ask him about that. I was asking for jokes, and that's what Otto came up with. He'll be glad, you just ask him about it. Moxie came up with one, too. Her her joke was, uh, it's not butter toast, it's butter toast. And then she threw her dad under the bus and said, it's daddy's joke. So... (laughs) Um, Okay, so I took a recommendation from someone who I will definitely not throw under the bus right now and whose name's definitely not Nora. It was a magical Christmas village. It's new, so you can't stream it anywhere. I know because I had to download the Hallmark Channel app and then the Hallmark Movies app and then the Lifetime app (laughs) before I could figure out that I couldn't stream it on any of those places. But if you have Fubo, I guess you can stream it. So I don't tell anybody. I borrowed my brother's Fubu, Fubo uh, account credentials so that I could stream it. He was like, what are you doing it for? I was like, I'm watching a Christmas movie. He's like, die hard? Like Ian? I was like, yeah, super manly Christmas movie. <laughs> so don't tell him I watched the Hallmark movie. Uh, on his account, a magical Christmas village. Uh, we watched it in the hotel room on my iPad, me and the girls. Um, And uh, I will give it props. It did not have a high-powered career lady going back to her small hometown where she learned the meaning of Christmas from a local hunk of a dad who has a cute little son. No, in this one, she was a high-powered career lady who was already home in her hometown and was intent on restoring it to its former cuteness. And the hunk of a dad was one who found his way back to the small hometown, so we're mixing it up. And uh, he, he didn't have a son, she had a daughter is different yeah and the estranged family member didn't need to make it home for Christmas she was already there causing the problems because she's kind of like you know so it was totally different props to the writing team for creativity um all right it's not fair to beat up on Hallmark movies for having the same plot because there are lots of other better reasons to beat up on Hallmark Christmas movies and really, there are only so many plots, right? Especially when it comes to Christmas movies. Um, we like stories of redemption and reconciliation in general, and we especially love them at Christmas time, right? So every Christmas movie is not just a redemption plot, but a reconciliation plot. So it's a wonderful life. George Bailey is not just redeemed, he's reconciled to his family, to his life, to the wonderful old building in Lone, to Bedford Falls. Ebenezer Scrooge isn't just redeemed. He's reconciled to his nephew Fred and to the Cratchit family. Walter, the evil children's book production guy, isn't just redeemed. The whole family of Buddy the Elf is reconciled to one another and Christmas is saved. The Grinch isn't just redeemed. He's reconciled to all the Who's down in Whoville. can just going on and on. Kevin McAllister doesn't just get redeemed. Okay, maybe he doesn't get redeemed. But he is reconciled to his family and even scary snow shovel guy is reconciled to his granddaughter Karen and to his son, right? And, Ian, John McClain doesn't just save the day, does he? No. No, he makes a new best friend and he's reconciled to his wife and he gets a machine gun for Christmas. And we can all hope that Hans Gruber learned the true meaning of Christmas as he fell from the top of Nakatomi Plaza. He learned that, that what... <laughs> Christmas is not about the bonds we steal from the vault, but about the bonds we forge through adversity. Something like that. Okay, here we are at Church of the King. Um, We don't do topical sermons. Our thing is preaching through the Bible verse by verse most of the time, but it is Advent. It is the season of anticipation and longing and hope as we get closer and closer to Christmas. So we have taken a break from our study through Romans. Three reasons why God became man last week was... Reveal this week is reconcile, reconcile. Okay, Jesus came to reveal God the Father. Jesus came to reconcile us to God the Father. If we need to be reconciled to God, that must mean that there is a problem, right? So who's the cranky estranged family member in our hallmark Christmas movie drama? It's us all of us. Mankind, we have daddy issues. The last verse of the Old Testament before Jesus comes says, Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. Okay, that's Malachi. That's the last verse of the Old Testament. You open to Matthew's Christmas story, you turn back one page, that's how it ends. That's how it ends. Do we live in a world where the hearts of fathers need to be turned to the children and children to the fathers? We do. We do. The majority of kids today growing up grow up in a home without a dad. It's hard. Several years ago, I read a, a book by a man named David Goggins. Y'all know who David Goggins is? Yeah? Yeah, some of you are like, yeah. I know who David Goggins is. What, do you, what would you say about him? he's a man's man, right? Here he is. Looks awesome. Can't hurt me. It's the name of this book. He just released a new one. I'll probably read it too. Okay. So if you don't know, David Goggins is the only man in history to complete training as a Navy SEAL, as an Army Ranger, and as an Air Force tactical air controller elite in three different branches of the military. He is one of the baddest men on the planet. He set Guinness uh, World Records for ridiculous stunts, feats of physical performance and mental toughness, like completing 4,030 pull-ups in 17 hours. He runs ultra marathons, he runs triathlons, he runs ultra triathlons. When he does, he sets course records. The dude is insane. He is a machine. He's superhuman. The first chapter of this book The entire first chapter of this book is about what? It's about his relationship with his dad. Think it's a good relationship? He grew up terrorized by his father. Alcoholic, abusive, pointing guns at him, beating up his mom in front of him. The man was terrorized by his dad. The name of his book is Can't Hurt Me. What has this man done with his whole life? This terrified little boy has spent his whole life protecting himself from his dad, proving to his dad he can't hurt him now, becoming the kind of man that cannot be hurt by anyone. His whole shtick, if you go follow him on social media, is stay hard. Every Instagram video ends with stay hard. It's his hashtag. That's his shtick. And he taps into something that's true about men. Men are made to be hard. They're made to be strong. They're made to be tough. And there are some things in life where the only response is, I can't change it. There's nothing I can do about it. I just have to suck it up and deal with it. Right? Right? But do you think that David Goggins is free? He could kill me in a nanosecond. There's nothing, nobody in this room that could out-tough him on something that he set his mind to. And why is that? And I don't want him to hear me say this because it's scary to say out loud, but I think it's because he's a weak, scared little boy. That's Why? We do have to be tough. We have to be hard in the right places. We have to be tender in the right places too. Mankind has daddy issues. We have daddy issues. It goes all the way back to our first father, Adam. In the book of Genesis, God created the world. He created Adam and Eve and put them in a garden. And he said, I'm a good father. I made all of this for you. Enjoy it. Go make babies, work, subdue the earth, fill it, eat whatever you want, except for one tree. And our first parents rejected that. They rejected God the Father. Adam, our first father, broke the relationship between heaven and earth. He broke the relationship between God and man. Adam introduced sin into the world, and with sin, death, and suffering, and broken relationships. Broken relationships into his own family. His sons fought. One of his sons murdered the other. We are downstream of them. They are our first parents. It's a dysfunctional family. And that dysfunction follows us all the way down to our own homes and our own lives. Our fathers shape who we become. We talked about this a lot last week, right? They shape who we become by their presence or by their absence. They shape what we believe about God. Our understanding of God is a projection of our dads or a rejection of them or both together. Something we have to work to untangle. I was at a funeral service yesterday for a pretty great dad. Uh, Papa Hawk loved Jesus. He was a giver, cared for his wife in the late stages of Alzheimer's. He raised gardens and girls and grandkids who know how to problem solve who are creative and crafty. I thought Amanda got a lot of her creative craftiness from her dad and some of it from Katie. And what I didn't realize when I got to know Papa Hawk was, well, you know, it just all goes together. When Katie married somebody like her dad. (laughs) And it just comes down to the family. Like father, like son. Like father, like daughter. Uh, David Jones... Still mourning, we're in, if you're visiting with us, we're, we have, we've had like three deaths in the last week in this church. Um, David Jones is still mourning the death of his dad. I uh, went over to his house the day his dad died and we sat down and just, you know, he told me the story of how, you know, he grew up doing things with his dad and, you know, admired him because he looked like Burt Reynolds and, And his dad had a different last name for a while because it was actually his stepdad. But he's just dad. I never thought of him as anything but that and eventually changed his name. And yeah, made us all cry last week talking about our dads and our granddads. I'm not gonna try to do that today. I didn't try to do it last week, it just happened, sorry. Uh, if you wanna cry, you can go listen to last week's sermon and join us all in our tears. Um, there are some good dads out there, but America has a dad problem, right? Because there are a lot of deadbeat dads out there too who are just absent. And there are a lot of dopey dads who are passive and permissive, soft in all the wrong ways, and a lot of dictatorial dads who are domineering, who are hard in all the wrong ways. And in the end, all of our dads, whether they're good or they're bad, whether they're deadbeats or dopes or dictators or just awesome dads, who do their best, they all leave us, they die. We're left picking up the pieces and trying to take care of the next generation and trying to help them build on what we've been given and trying to fix what's been broken or trying to bury it deep down and pretend that everything's fine. Here's the thing, God did not leave us alone. God did not leave us to ourselves. That last verse of the Old Testament is a promise. And this is how it ends. He will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers. When Jesus came, he changed everything. And you'll remember from last week that in all the Old Testament, how many times did God teach us to call him personally father? He didn't. He didn't do it. Then Jesus shows up and in the Sermon on the Mount alone, he calls God father how many times? Do you remember? Sixteen. In his, the first sermon that he preaches that we have record of, he calls God Father 16 times. Teaches us to call him our Father. Says to us, he is your Father, your Father in heaven. I took it a little bit farther. I tried to look up how many times Jesus refers to God as Father in the Gospels alone. Somewhere above 150 times. Think about it for a minute. Did God change? No. No, but it took the coming of the eternal Son of God to reveal the fullness of God the Father to us. All of that revelation, though, that we talked about last week about the Father, the love of God, the sinners, and sending Jesus, the demonstration of that love, and how Jesus lived, and what He taught, and how He cared for the sick and the poor and the needy, how He healed the blind and the lame, how He wept over the grave of Lazarus, His friend how Jesus did the work of his father, just like we all grow up wanting to work and be like our fathers. So we see the father and the son and the son and the father and the work and words of Jesus, a father who's always there, who never leaves, who's tough toward our enemies and tender toward us, tough in the right places, tender in the right places. All of that revelation about who God is is nothing without what comes next. And that's reconciliation. To be reconciled to somebody is just to have the relationship made right. The problem we have is sin. It's our own rebellion. It's the rebellion of our fathers all the way back to our first father, Adam. It just keeps going back. And our own rebellion has broken our relationship with God and provoked His wrath. We deserve judgment. That's what Jesus came to solve. 2 Corinthians 5, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Colossians 1 For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven. Making peace by the blood of his cross. And you who once were alienated by and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and and above reproach before him. Romans 5. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we're God's enemies if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled shall we be saved by his life. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have now received reconciliation. Hanging over the manger, hanging over the cradle was not just a star. It was the cross. Jesus did not just come to show us the love of God but to draw us into the love of God. He did not just come to show us how to live. He came so that we would live. He came to die. The baby whose birthday we gather to celebrate will be gathered here to celebrate on Christmas Day. Came to give his own life to reconcile us to God the Father. He came down from heaven to trade his riches for our rags, to trade his joys for our sorrows, to trade his righteousness for our sin to trade his reward for the punishment that we deserve. To atone for the sin of the world, to bear it all on himself in his body on the cross. That is the full revelation of the love of God to us as sinners. As one ancient preacher calls the cross the pulpit of God's love. So last week we talked a little bit about forgiveness. Jesus came so that we can be forgiven. But forgiveness is not the goal. Forgiveness is a means to an end. The goal is a restored and reconciled relationship. That's the point. That's the purpose. Forgiveness is what's necessary to have a reconciled relationship. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. His job, his goal, is not simply to forgive us, but to bring us to the Father so that we can be healed. God's aim is to reconcile man to himself, to reconcile us to himself, to reconcile heaven and earth, to reconcile us then to one another, to restore what he made from the beginning to something new, something more glorious, something more beautiful than ever before. Forgiveness is the door we walk through. It's a means to the end, and the end is that we would be reconciled to God, restored and healed, adopted into the household of God, with God as our Father That means we have to want more than forgiveness. We have to want that reconciled relationship to God our Father. And that means working through things. The Spirit of God brings us to Jesus who brings us to the Father. Listen to this. Romans 8 says it this way. All who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, the point is that we would have our relationship with our Father in heaven restored. And that comes through true, genuine reconciliation. A family, a father who's perfect. Which is why we start with forgiveness. It is the doorway, it's what has to be dealt with so that there can be a real, healed, and restored relationship. The same is true in all our relationships because we are sinners. A lot of the tension we feel at the holidays is what? It's pretending to have relationships with one another where there is no real forgiveness. That's why that subplot always works so well in our Hallmark movies. We feel real tension, and the reason we feel real tension is because there's no real forgiveness. Real reconciliation comes through forgiveness though, through the ability to sincerely say, I've hurt you, and I'm sorry. I was wrong and I love you. And the ability to sincerely say, I forgive you, and I'm sorry too. Not cheaply, not to wave the hand over and say, it's fine, no big deal, it's okay, everything's fine. Some things are not okay, some things are not fine. And where there needs to be real reconciliation, there has to be a real acknowledgement of wrong, that everything's not okay. That's what God did for us. Everything was not okay between us and God. And there was no waving the wand over it and saying it's fine. No, Jesus came and was born and lived and suffered and died on the cross went all the way to the end to reconcile us to God because sin mattered, forgiveness mattered. And we have to walk through that first. There has to be repentance, there has to be forgiveness. And then there's a reconciled relationship. Jesus tells the story of a slave who uh, owed his master the equivalent of millions of dollars the master took pity on that slave and forgave him his debt. And what did he do? He turned around and had somebody who owed him, owed him the equivalent of like 10 bucks thrown into debtor's prison. And The master found out what happened. He said, no way. No way. Now, how dare you have no pity after all that you've been forgiven? How dare you be so stingy when you've been forgiven so much? And the point is obvious. The debt of sin that we owe is infinite. There's nothing that we could do to repay it. That's why the infinite, eternal Son of God had to come and pay for it on our behalf. We don't have the right to claim God's forgiveness for ourselves and then harbor bitterness and resentment. We don't have the right to claim God's forgiveness for ourselves and have unforgiveness in our own hearts. True forgiveness, true reconciliation with God frees us to forgive one another. Be reconciled to God, be reconciled to one another. And it starts with forgiveness. Some of us have a problem with that because we just don't even wanna look in the face our own sin, the wrongs that we've committed, or the wrongs that have been committed against us. We don't wanna, we'd rather just pretend it never happened. Push it down, bury it, hide it away. Build walls. Well, that's how you have broken relationships. Uh, can I just be forgiven by God and without ever having to be reconciled to God the Father? Can I just like pretend like everything's okay? And No, not if you want to have real reconciliation, not if you want to be truly healed, not if you wanna grow. Not if you understand the point of the gospel. Some of you might be sort of like David Goggins. You've been hurt. You've been harmed. You've been sinned against. You don't want to be real about it. You don't want to deal with it. You want to keep it all in a bottle in the attic and pull it out whenever you need to feel sorry for yourself or whenever you need some rage fuel or motivation. Can't hurt me. Remember, Remember last week, Jesus didn't have to prove anything to God the Father, right? Before he ever started his ministry, before he ever spoke a word, before he ever went out and healed anybody, God the Father declared from heaven, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Jesus wasn't working to prove himself to the Father. We don't make our kids prove themselves to us He wasn't working for God's approval, he was working from God's approval. We don't make our kids work for our approval, they work from our approval. And if you are in Christ, if you believe and have been adopted into God's family, you have God's love and you have God's approval. You have his forgiveness. And with that comes freedom to forgive others so that we can forgive and extend forgiveness, so that we can ask forgiveness, so that we can be reconciled, so that the hearts of fathers can turn to their children and children to their fathers, the brothers and sisters can be reconciled. That's why in your homes, one of the most important things you can do is model repentance, repentance, apologizing when you sin, asking the forgiveness of your kids. Uh, Okay, it's late and I don't care. Uh, When my Nana was in the hospital dying a week and a half ago, she knew she had work to do. She worked hard to have every single conversation she needed to have with everybody. She made phone calls, she said goodbye, she made sure everybody knew that she loved them and was proud of them. By the time I was able to get my kids there to say their goodbyes, Nana was only a couple hours away from dying. They had already given her some morphine. We weren't sure, I wasn't sure if she could hear them or not. We were hopeful and I didn't want anybody to have any regrets so I made sure they all spoke up. And they left and I stayed a little while longer And as I left, I said goodbye to Nana. I told her the kids were there and she came to and grabbed my hand. And I don't know how long it took, it was at least a half hour with Jeff, my uncle, wetting the inside of her mouth with a sponge. And I thought, well, maybe I'm just the closest person she came to, she just wanted a hand to hold. Like I tried to put her hand down and and leave at one point, maybe twice and Grabbed for me again, and uh, she finally got to speak. She said, "Thank you." I think it's just she was intent on being sure everybody that came, she said goodbye to. I don't think, and then and then I prayed for her, and then she relaxed again. But she fought to say. Goodbye and I love you to my kids, even though they had already left. I don't think she had to have any especially hard conversations. If she did, if she did, they're between her and whoever she had them with. If she didn't, it's because she'd done most of the work already. And that's what you want. That's what you want. You want to do the work now. You want to be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another before you go and meet God. So do the work, deal with God, be reconciled to him. He's made the way, he's made it clear, his love is poured out, it's obvious. And do the work with the people you need to be reconciled to, with the people you need to forgive, And the people you need to be forgiven by. Sometimes reconciliation isn't possible, but you do what you can do. You forgive who you can forgive and you ask forgiveness of who you need to ask forgiveness. This Christmas season, you're gonna have opportunities for that and you're gonna have opportunities to shut yourself down and wall yourself off. Every Christmas, we all have our own individual places of pain and sorrow and sadness. Open your heart to God and to each other. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son to be born, to live, to die. We thank you that while we were your enemies, with our fists raised up, you did the work of coming to us and extending forgiveness to us through your son. I pray this morning that we would all have faith to lay hold of Jesus and the forgiveness that's ours in Christ, and that we would be reconciled to you. And that you would help us to be reconciled to one another. In Jesus' name, amen.